0: Hey, this is Tim with the Firetime Podcast. I am so stoked for today's episode because I get hardballed with a bunch of questions by an amazing guest host. Hey, the thing I'm going to tell you real fast is that we ran into some technical problems, so in the intro and the outro of the show, the audio gets a little bit fuzzy, but don't worry, the content's amazing, and in the interview, everything gets back to normal. So just wanted to give you that heads up. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Thank you so much for tuning in.
1: Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there is no excuse not to. Hi, I am your host this week, Grant Falco. And man, do we have an interview for you. Tim Reed has asked me to do this interview, uh, not because i i don't think tim wants to self-promote and i think that tim really struggled with wanting to do this last interview uh himself but i think it's vital to us uh everybody that listens to him to understand maybe a little bit more of where tim's coming from and maybe to have someone ask him a few questions um as i've listened to all 11 episodes i've definitely come up with questions i've learned a lot i mean uh john Waterstrot, tim rethelick rachel feinstein um vp burger I, I just can't i can pick little things out of each and every one of those that has has given me a lot and uh, uh now what i'm going to do is try to give back to all of you by asking a lot of good questions i know that as we uh, have listened to tim tim has t- spoke about his punk rock days and we're going to learn about that we're going to learn about uh what has created this crazy amount of discipline in him uh, he'll speak to Slow as Fast. He'll talk about all the practicing they do as a sales team. Uh, Tim is uh, very open when it comes to all this information. He'll speak to that. He'll speak to why he feels that is so important. This friendship that him and I have is something that uh, uh, our wives have a running joke that uh, we are each other's uh, best friends forever or or girlfriends or whatnot, and that's fine. The thing that has drawn us together is a passion for success, a passion to get it right, a passion to win. And Tim isn't afraid to share what he's learned. And I'm going to ask him a number of questions so that Tim can really uh, explain himself and why he thinks a certain way. If you find that this interview is insulting in any way or is telling you that you are doing things incorrectly and you find yourself a little bit angst or upset, I'm gonna ask that you think about why. I'm gonna ask that you think about that and you truly, truly try to understand. Now, I'm gonna imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you're not one of those people, but if you are, and even deep down, sometimes I'm like, oh, that hurts. We gotta understand that that's what we gotta change. We gotta be open to that. We gotta put our egos aside and we gotta win. We gotta win with our people. We got to win with, with our thought processes, with our mentality, uh, and a number of other things. So we're going to get this interview started with Tim here in just a minute, and I cannot wait. And I'm sure you guys can't either. So I'm excited here today. I'm here with your host from this entire season of the Firetime Podcast, Tim Reed. Uh, you know, he's a dear friend of mine. He's asked me to do this interview and I just could not be more excited. Tim, welcome to your own podcast. Hey, thanks, man. There's nothing more pretentious than that, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You've been talking a lot about the uh, best podcast of the year and you've had some amazing podcasts, but I I truly believe your followers are going to love this podcast. And truthfully, after listening to it, uh, multiple times, each, each one. Um, I have a few questions. I'm excited to ask those of you. Cool. I'm so, excited to be uh, here. Thanks man. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just get started. I'm going to throw out a softball question to get started. Uh, You, it intrigues me every time, Tim. Uh, every time I hear you say you are a punk rocker or you're in a punk band, I just, I have to, I've heard the story before, but I I think our listeners just need to hear what you mean by that. I don't know if they've met you before, but I can, (laughs) I can assure you by your podcast, that's not something they're thinking is in your, uh, past. So speak to that a little bit.
0: (laughs) You know, that's a great question. And to be honest, I don't think about myself as a businessman. I think about myself as like an 18-year-old punk rocker. And I don't know why, but like that's that's the self-perception that I have. So yeah, so it's funny, you know, playing in a punk band, I always joke around and say that it it has uniquely qualified me to have the, the job that I have now. And it's funny because, man, when you're playing in a failing punk band, um, well, I'll tell you, number one, you learn a lot about humility because you're sleeping in a lot of parking lots and on a lot of, you know, uh, Van floors and and weird places like that, but it also teaches you just enough to be dangerous when it comes to like marketing, graphic design, web development, and honestly managing like egos and people and promoters and stuff like that. But I think the the single biggest thing that I got out of it was I guess I guess it was two things. One was the ability to be introspective because I'm a songwriter, so I'm always. Looking inward at myself, and like the way that I write songs, and I think that that's given me a little bit of self awareness. That's been really helpful. But then number two is it has helped me not be afraid or uncomfortable of seeing and hearing myself be an idiot while things are being recorded.
1: <laughs> truly, truly, Tim, I think that is a huge deal. I have explained to you numerous times. I've barely gotten through the the interview and podcast that we did, and it's just hard for me to hear it. And I know that. Uh, you need to practice it in order to get better at it and you've practiced it a lot and it's given you so many other things. I, I still have a hard time finding uh, the, the memory of, of watching you or seeing the video of you for the first time jump around that stage. It's pretty <laughs> enlightening but I can see it. Once I, you're so committed to certain things, Tim, that you were committed to that, you did that and then once you kind of moved over into the hearth industry, it's, you know, it's obvious that you've committed yourself to that as well. Uh, hey, so uh, speaking about uh, committing yourself, let's talk about passion a little bit. Something that I always ask interviews um, almost every time is what drives you? Mm. What 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 gets you up in the morning? What, what do we do this for? What do you do this for? Dude, that's a great question.
0: You know, uh, first and foremost, man, when I look back at my life, like I have – there is no reason I should be where I am now. I look at the job that I have, the life I have, the wife and the kids – Dude, it it should not have happened to me. I mean, there's nothing I've done to deserve that. So I think realizing first and foremost that like I'm only here because of like God's grace. And so what I have doesn't belong to me. And and everything I have and everything I've achieved, I have to constantly realize this for the sake of pouring out into other people. Whether that's my family, whether that's the people that I work with or you know the audience in the podcast. I think that I think that what what drives me is is just thinking that like any blessing i've received i'm actually responsible for and so the way that i exercise that responsibility is to be passionate focused and driven just to be able to help other people win
1: that's that's i mean that was extraordinarily well put tim uh, i have uh, yet to have an interviewee answer it that that well actually of course um <laughs> You know, meeting your family and knowing you, it's uh, something that I definitely know you are extraordinarily grateful and thankful at every moment. And I think that's what what gets you through a lot of these things. I'm going to get to a little bit tougher question for you, Tim. Uh, you know, you are not um, bashful in any way. And I've been in some, <laughs> in some scenarios where you're, you're, you just tell it like it is. And you have a way of telling it like it is, but backing up what you're saying. So I'm going to ask you, what is wrong with our industry? What, what is it, what's wrong with it? Is it one thing? Is it five things? What's the best way you can help us understand what is wrong with our, our industry?
0: Grant, that's a great question. The reality is that there is a serious problem in our industry. The most difficult part about that is that most companies and businesses are not even aware that there's a problem. So where I'm gonna go with that is that what's wrong with our industry is that we make it too difficult to do business with us. And that doesn't matter if you're at the manufacturer level, if you're at the customer uh, dealer level, or if you're at the distributor level, we are too difficult to do business with. And there's a lot of companies. The reason I don't realize it's a problem is because it's the way that they have always done it for 30 years and they've probably maintained their sales. Maybe they've grown a little bit, but the fact of the matter is the consumer experience has radically changed in the last five years. I mean, you know, none of us thought five years ago that we would ever sit in a bar and order a cab, you know, where a stranger comes and picks you up and you get in their car. I mean, no one would have thought that, but that's what the norm is now. And what's happened is that Amazon and Uber have changed the game to where speed and convenience has become the new expertise. And the reality is if we don't make it stupidly simple to do business with us, you see what I did there? Yeah. If we don't make it stupidly simple to do business with us, customers won't. And so what is wrong with our industry is that we are stuck with a tunnel vision arrogantly assuming that people will continue to do business with us no matter how difficult it is. That's what's wrong with our industry.
1: You know, I agree, Tim. And I think someone who has been in the industry uh, for 15 years now and born into the industry, it's hard for us to admit that. It's hard for us to understand that, that maybe we are a lot of the problem. I think uh, a part of being a, a friend of Tim Reed is is understanding that you're going to hear some things that really make you think and make you reevaluate some of the the ways you do and I find myself very happy with what our business does but but reevaluating a lot of things and I think you're right. I think Amazon, the way of doing business has just changed the consumer's experience and raised expectations exponentially.
0: Yeah, 100%. And like, you know, you think about this, it's so crazy that people even buy from us. It really is. You know, when, I mean, you think about this, you think about, I know where you're going. I mean, I, I, I I literally, I bought a car two days ago. I did all of my research online from my house. I made a couple phone calls. I got all my questions answered, negotiated the price down. I drove four hours away to buy it because it was significantly less expensive than buying in my own market. I walked into the dealership, signed the paperwork and drove out with the car. I mean, that was my experience. And, and you think about this, um, you know, you're buying a dishwasher, you're buying a refrigerator. It's the same thing. You do your research online, you get your questions answered, you go in and you buy. Now, where I'm going with that is that you think about what's the customer journey in our industry. Well, the customer journey is that first they get on a computer and they go to a manufacturer's website that's totally confusing. It's totally confusing because of insider language, information that they don't need, and they're just bombarded with options that may or may not work for their home. They get totally confused by it. So then they go to the dealer locator. They find a local dealer's webpage that's even worse than the manufacturer's, and they get totally confused by that. So maybe they go and they research a little bit in the forums, but at this point, like, you know, they're really, really confused. If they haven't given up yet, they'll get in the car and drive probably 30 minutes to go find you. And if your showrooms are anything like mine, they're really difficult to find. It's hard to park there. So they're yeah. in there. They talk to a team member for about 45 minutes. The team member sends them out the door with a business card saying, call this person. They'll come out to their house to look at it. As a consumer, you're like, wait a minute. I've, done, I've come this far. I've done all this stuff online. I've driven 30 minutes to see you. And now you're giving me a business card for someone to come to my house. So then you wait a week and a half for the person to come out to your house. They answer some questions. And you say, well, how much is this going to cost me? And they go, well, I'm going to go back to the office, crunch the numbers, and I'll give you a call back. And you're thinking, what? I've I've been to your shop. You've been to my house, and now I have to wait again, and then say that they forget about it. So then you know a week later you call them, and they're like, oh yeah, we forgot about that. We'll get you your numbers right away. You know I'm I'm going and going and going here. But the reality is, by the time you finally get to the installation, it has been a horrendous process for a customer, and we think it's totally freaking normal, and that's nuts.
1: You know, uh, you speak to our process when you speak to getting out there, getting a quote uh, (laughs) to them after you would be out there. And, you know, something we just, you know, you have to take all this information in, and you have to apply it to your own business. And I think that's what every listener would do here. Uh, What we did is we just started testing um, quotes up front and we wanted to see how far off we were. And it, it really comes down to if you ask the right questions, if you put your salespeople in the right position to ask those questions you're off my $50 give or take $100 give or take and you're more or less confirming the bid at that point than getting the sale at that point which I think has uh, shown me a lot and just a quick easy little change uh to make the process a little bit easier I think we're we're due for a lot more but uh, it's just a simple tweak that has made a world of difference
0: yeah, that's awesome, man. And and that's the thing is that when I say this stuff, I'm pointing the finger at myself too. I mean, we've made a lot of strides over the last five years in this area, but we're still difficult to do business with. I mean, it's why the the mantra of the show is we got to make it so stupidly easy to do business with us that there's no excuse not to. That's that's my mission too.
1: Yes, no, I I I, I agree a hundred percent. Hey, uh, so you know, one of the things by you, Tim, is is you have a way of. Uh, seeking information. You're just constant. And you, you, you understand that information that you're seeking. You go through so much of that information. Someone like myself struggles with that, um, struggles with getting insecure about what I'm not doing. And I start to lose focus on what I am doing. A, how do you find the time to seek so many answers, make your family priority and B, how do you stay so positive through that?
0: You know, I, I think it, well, there's a couple of things. The, the first one is I, I try to be really disciplined with my time. So when people meet me, they make the mistake of thinking I'm really organized and I've got all my ducks in a row because it's just the way that I am. That's and how it I couldn't felt. be further from the truth. <laughs> you know, the, the reality is I'm a creative. I'm, I'm not an administrator. I'm a creative. But because of the role I'm in, I have had to teach myself habits through discipline that help me organize my time. So for me, the way that I find time, it starts with my morning that, you know, 530 in the morning, I'm up. Um, I'm hitting a 16-ounce glass of water hard. I'm doing 40 push-ups, 60 sit-ups. That takes me to about 545, where I'm going to hit the scriptures for 30 to 45 minutes. After that, I'm going to alternate between either doing a four-mile run or doing 30 to 40 minutes of creative writing. That ends up taking me to about 730 in the morning. When my daughter wakes up, I can kind of do stuff with her for a little while. I let my wife sleep in with our baby. And then once I am done with that, I'm hitting the podcast on the way into work. So any you know, I just try to structure my day so that my downtime is spent doing something productively versus like just, you know, just wasting time.
1: Well, yeah, you kind of stole my, my, my next question. I mean, you are honestly one of the most disciplined people that I've met and you know, again, uh, I find myself trying to mimic you in certain ways of discipline. What was your biggest struggle in in becoming that disciplined? What was your di- most difficult obstacle? I mean, it's easy to say to get up at 530 in the morning. And it's easy to say to do the podcast on the way to work. But a lot of us just want that extra 10 minutes to just do
0: nothing. Uh, how did you change or has that always been built in you? So it's taken me a long time to realize this. I've always been a really intense personality. And the way that I'm wired, when I see an objective, I find a way to achieve it. And I just I, you know, and, and it just kind of comes down to priorities. It's like, well, if I want to play in a famous punk band, then I need to spend my downtime booking shows writing songs working on playing guitar because there's no other option you know if if i'm gonna go to the bar and just like hang out and have a good time on friday night um i can do that but i'm gonna actually have to sacrifice the bigger dream of playing in this punk band now obviously that didn't really work out but i think it comes down to the same thing of like well what do i want in life you know um well i want to serve the people that are on my team I want to love my wife really well and be like the best husband that could ever be. You know, I want to be the best dad for my kids. So, if I want to do that stuff, there's going to be other things that I have to say no to. And I think it just comes down to, if you if you open up your calendar and your wallet you're going to really see where your priorities are and because i know myself and i know how undisciplined and how selfish i am left to my own devices i've just built disciplines in to be guardrails for me so that i can stay focused and keep my eyes on the prize does that make sense
1: yeah that that makes complete sense um, you know i kind of when you when you speak about discipline a number of things that you've said in this in answering that question kind of comes back to a, something that I say to myself quite often now and in the intro of your podcast, slow is fast.
0: One <laughs> hundred And so,
1: so really what you're talking about over and over again is you got to go slow before you can go fast. That speaks to systems process. Speak to that a
0: little bit more. I know you love to say that, uh, slow is fast. Well, that saying goes back to Tim Rethlake, you know, the first guest of this, of this season. And Tim's been just an amazing mentor and he's become just a great friend of mine over the last few years. And the reality is that the the best things in life rarely happen fast. You know, um, if you're, if you're married, you know, if you're a newlywed and you're talking to someone that's been married for 50 years and you say, how do you have a great marriage? Well, they can give you advice that's going to be, you know, full of wisdom and it helps send you in the right direction. But you know what? The way that you have a great marriage for 50 years, the way that you make it for 50 years is to have a great marriage for 50 years. I mean, there are some things in life that only come with experience. And, and where I'm going with that is not to say that you can't learn wisdom and you can't achieve things. You know, you can, you can achieve things faster learning from other people's mistakes than your own. But the reality is there are things in life that take time, effort, and discipline in order to become mature and competent, and so I have a lot of people that that ask me about like, I mean, even the the position I'm in at Fireside is like, well, Tim, you lead these uh, up to six showrooms now. You've got all these all these sales team members, and and you know what can I do to kind of get me there? It's like, well, I mean, I can I can give you some some wisdom for sure, but the reality is like this journey started 17. Years ago when I was a teenager playing punk music and it's been like the journey and the process of like learning myself and learning how to work with other people that's turned into a, a job installing, which turned into a job in sales, which turned into a job, you know, at fireside and has eventually brought me here. So I guess that that there are times where like you just can't avoid the long path. But if you can go slow on the front end, I am convinced that you can run on the back end faster than anybody else.
1: Yeah, no, I I find myself repeating it to myself and my team team members in so many different areas of business, and it, it speaks to discipline, it speaks to process, it speaks to success. Um, hey, one thing I just definitely want to talk to you about before you know we get into it too far is you. I hear you talk about story brand quite a bit. And I think that I I would just like to hear a little bit more about it, how you learned of StoryBrand, what you think of StoryBrand and why you write, you you utilize it as somewhat of a template for how you, how you operate.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. So I came into contact with StoryBrand probably two years ago, two and a half years ago. And what, what happened is they're a marketing company that's based out of Nashville, Tennessee. And they confirmed a lot of the things I was already doing intuitively and they showed me why those things worked so well. Up until that point, it was almost like I was driving without a windshield. I just knew that this was the right thing to do. I knew that, you know, making the customer the hero and us the advisor. I didn't I called it the advisor then. Storybrand calls it the guide, but I knew that making us the advisor and the customer the hero was the right thing. We'd seen it have some wild success for us. And there's some other things we were doing. I didn't know why they worked, but I knew that they did. When I came into contract with StoryBrand, I felt like I was reading my own mail. I was like, "Oh my goodness! Like I cannot, I can't <laughs> believe that. it." I mean, I, I couldn't believe it because they helped round out some of the things that I was missing, and they helped unpack why, what some of the things that we were doing worked so well. And I'll tell you this: I mean, if, if anyone listening to this wants to take their messaging, marketing, and sales seriously, go to a story brand workshop. It's going to be expensive and it's going to be worth every penny because I'll tell you that that our industry is wrong when it comes to marketing. I don't care what manufacturer you work for. I don't care what dealer you work for. Our industry is dead wrong, and we waste so much money. It is not even crazy I mean, it's it's insane how much money we we waste marketing because we are all about ourselves. We are not focusing on the customer, their problems, and making it easy for them to do business with us. So yeah, that's that's what I think about StoryBrand.
1: You know, that kind of leads into something else. When you say uh, make time for story brand, you know, one of the things a lot of people listening here are going to say is, you know, that's one thing I don't have is time. Um, what would you say to that? Uh, we've talked about wildly important goals, the four disciplines of execution, and kind of how to how to prioritize that. Can you speak to that a little bit more?
0: Yeah, I mean the fact is we do have time. We all have the same amount of time. It's just whether we use it or not for effective things. I mean, first and foremost, that's it. So nothing drives me more crazy than a company or a dealer or a manager saying, I don't have time. And my thing is you do have time, but you don't believe that this is important enough to move the needle. And so that's one thing is that I mean, I'm I'm a little bit unique in, in kind of the way that I manage my time. Um, you know, I have I have no problem taking myself out, you know, once a week for two hours with my phone turned off and my laptop turned off and nothing but a notepad, that's thinking time. I mean, I I believe that, that that is actually some of the best money that my company spends on me is giving me two hours a week of thinking time where no one can reach me. I think that pulling our top sales performers out for a day and a half to do a speed of trust workshop or to um, go to like an HPBA function, something like that. I think that that, I, I look at it as saying, well, I, I don't have time not to do that. I want my people to be effective. And the reality is, so many of us are stuck in these routines where we have this horrendous time management because we just live in the chaos of the whirlwind all day long. And if we want to grow ourselves and grow our companies we have to make time to step out of the whirlwind because the fact is the whirlwind will always be there. But if you can take two hours to jump out and get lunch with a mentor to think about growing your business or to take a day to go to a workshop and learn, I mean, I'm telling you, man, like our, our retail has been growing exponentially year over year. And and the only reason is because we're taking intentional time to get better. It's something that I, I, I
1: say all the time. I don't have time in prior, prior prioritizing all the things that you have to do uh, is, is, is very difficult. Um, putting it on an agenda I found instead of a list or putting it in my schedule has helped me a immense amount with that. One of the things that you talk about all the time, and and this is carving out time is practice. You know, (laughs) I grew up playing soccer. I played college soccer. Um, and we practice all the time. I watched Drew Brees, you know, last night or Maybe it was a couple of days ago, just dying people up, passing. Yep. And they talked about his routine and about his practice and about his focus. And here we are, salespeople, service people, and, and training is an afterthought. Practice, repetitive practice, selling to each other on the sales floor is an afterthought. What do you believe there? How, how, how do you implement certain practice policies and things like that?
0: Well, I think it it goes back to priorities. You know, you asked me about time management and everything else. And for me, the reason that uh, I manage my time and I'm disciplined is because it's a priority to me to be the best and to, you know, represent the the talent and the blessing that I have to serve other people. And if that wasn't a priority, I, I wouldn't do it. So when people tell me that their business, they want their business to grow, but they don't, you know, practice with their people, they don't work on easier ways for them to price or for them to quote. They don't do extensive, you know, out of the office training with their teams. What that tells me is they can say they want to grow their business all they want, but they don't. They don't. They want to be the hero. They want to have the limelight, and they don't want anything that's bigger than themselves. And their priorities show it. So I think that's true. Number one, you know. Number two, when it comes to implementing this stuff, yeah, it's exactly what you said. You know, um, the year that Drew Brees won the Super Bowl, uh, when they came up to him afterwards and said, Drew, you know, it's amazing that you did this. You know, how did you win the Super Bowl? He didn't go, Oh, I, I'm not sure. I guess I just. I just got out of bed and got into the bus and you know, they just took me right here to this stage. Like, no, man. It's like this yeah. guy has been training every single day for the last probably 20 years to get to this moment. And the reality is, you know, the, the Eagles won the Super Bowl last year and they probably showed up during the week, you know, to, to practice. They didn't just show up for games. And and yep. I'm, I'm telling you that it is stupid that we don't practice with our sales teams. And, and I'm not joking when I say this. I <laughs> had companies ask me to come and speak and, and everything like that. And, and, a, and part of me wants to say, I'll make you a deal. You know, if you will give me $50,000, I will double your business. So you don't have to, you don't have to give it to me until after you've doubled your business, but I won't even come out. Um, but I will double your business if you'll give me 50 grand. And here's what I would do is I would say, practice once a week with your teams. And then just, you can just mail me that check next year. Mm-hmm. I'm not joking, no man. Joke. That, that no, I... You will double your sales capacity if you practice with your team. I don't lie when I say that.
1: You know, a duplication as you scale or grow a business is key. Close enough is good enough, and as you practice, you really—I mean—a lot of us are trying to duplicate ourselves. And uh, there's—if we're close, if we have three people that are close to who we are. Uh, we believe we are the best or we are the hero. But if we can create and cultivate in our sales staff people that are really close to us and constantly infuse and invest uh, et- and educate them, um, we will, our results will be 10 times better. And, and our business has taken that seriously in the past, but we are definitely taking it more seriously these days. Um, and we're trying to infuse by having our, our sales staff teach and train, uh, to also educate themselves. Um, but just little things like, uh, selling to each other, Tim, just little things like that have made a big difference as you know.
0: Yeah. And the whole thing is, you know, I didn't come up with this, but it's the mantra that practice doesn't make perfect, but it does make permanent. And so, you know, sometimes you'll get sales reps together and you'll say, all right, go sell me something. And they'll stutter and they'll hem and haw. And, and afterwards they'll say, well, yeah, but it wasn't like the real world. I'm, I'm way better in front of customers. You're not the fact you're not. The fact is you're not, but now you're forced to realize it. The reality is with customers, you've got such tunnel vision that you don't realize that you're hemming and hawing and you're stammering over everything. And so that's where the practice is so amazing because it becomes permanent. I I keep going back to uh, when we were in Washington, DC for the government affairs training. And we talked about this, I think on a a past podcast with Rachel, but we had our whole group have to sit in front of cameras and they hardballed us with questions and everybody went around and gave feedback and when it came up for my turn, I, you know, I gave some answers and, and a lot of the people in the room were like, oh my gosh, Tim, like, you know, how'd you do that? Like you were really concise and succinct and you gave great answers. And my whole thing is like, that's not any magic on my part, but I'm used to every week having to sell in front of people and having to give answers on a stage. And that has made me ready to where when someone asked me a question, it, it's permanent. You know, I don't have to sit there and like rack my brain for what the answer is because I practiced. I put myself in that moment. And I'm telling you, if if companies want to grow, they'll have their sales teams practice with each other. Yeah. It's it's hard to
1: hear what we're not good at. It's hard to see it. When we practice it, it's exposed. So yep. of course we don't, we don't want to practice because then it did expose the things that maybe we don't do that well. Yep. What we have to understand is that's the only way we get better is by exposing those. And the more we expose those and conquer those, uh, the better we'll all be. Hey, you know, you've been so generous with, with your information on your podcast, in our friendship. Um, you have just been extraordinarily generous with the information that you have. Um, coming from a family-owned business and a very protective uh uh, just wanting to protect how we do things, way we do things the way we do. I found that, uh, refreshing a little bit, uh, concerning to be honest, uh, <laughs> uh, just to the understanding of how free you are with your information and wanting to make everybody better. It doesn't even matter truly if it's the guy across the street. Speak to that, Tim.
0: You know, I think that there's a lot more to be won with open-handed generosity than, um, a tight-fisted attitude. So, you know, my whole thing is that is that I find as I give content away, whether it's through the podcast or like through Instagram or a blog post or something like that or speaking at expo, whatever it is, I actually find that in teaching and conveying that content, I learn more than I ever thought possible because it makes my brain really analyze what I'm saying. It makes me think about, well, do I really think this? Do I not? How could I apply this? And I'll just tell you, man, that you know you know this as, as you've started to do some teaching, that when you teach, you learn way more. And so I would say I could be tight-fisted. I could hold on to it. We'd probably have a little bit more success than we've had now. But I'm telling you, it's the open-handed generosity that has fueled my brain to go places where it never would have gone otherwise.
1: So what I was going to say is I don't know exactly the quote that I keep thinking in my, in, in my mind, but it's, it's something in effect, the more people you help, the more you help yourself. And, uh, I believe that, and I believe that's, that's your message. And, uh, I believe a lot of people are signing on to that, Tim, and, uh, I enjoy it and I appreciate it. And I think I'm speaking for more than just myself.
0: Oh, thanks, man. So, I I was going to say that I I think it's the Zig Ziglar quote that says, you can have anything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want first. And and the whole thing with it is – and this is where it's so silly, man. Like we are not – we're not selling dishwashers in a market that's totally tapped out. I mean I, I feel bad for the dishwasher salesperson because everybody knows what a dishwasher is. Everybody knows the price they should pay. Everyone knows how to do their research. There's zero value that the company can provide you. I mean, maybe like an extended warranty for it, but man, that's that's cutthroat. I mean, it's really really tough. But when you look at fireplaces, we are a total value sale. I mean, we're a total value sale. And you think about how untapped the market is. This is this is my whole thing and it's why I don't have a problem, you know, giving it away is that you know, if I walked through my neighborhood right now and knocked on 10 doors and asked him what a gas insert was, I'd be shocked if one of my neighbors could tell me. And I'm like, dude, these are the people that need our products. And like, most of them don't even know that they exist. Like everyone gets so worked up fighting over this tiny sliver of the pie, not even realizing that like the market is not even close to being tapped yet. And to piggyback on that too, the reality is, and this is just the sad thing I've learned from speaking and stuff is that most people don't care. Most people just shrug their shoulders. They don't want to grow their business. They might say they do, but but they don't want to. They don't want to put in that work. And it, and it and it's kind of like the idea of you know if you want to learn how to how to fly a plane, you could have the best pilot write you like notes and a book and a pamphlet on how to on how to fly the plane. It doesn't change the fact it's going to take you years to get that going. And so the way that I look at it is, is, I like is that. I want to give everything away and how I want to help everybody get there. But it's one of those things that, that this actually can take some time. And it goes back to, I think it was, uh, I don't know who it was that said this, but it's like, well, what's the best day to plant a tree? It's 20 years ago. What's the second best yeah. day? It's today. today.
1: I love it. Uh, Hey, so we got to spend some time in Washington, D.C., uh, and yeah, riding scooters, go- together, right? <laughs> riding scooters together, right? Uh, riding scooters together. You know, the Government Affairs Academy was a surprise to me. Um, you had you have said multiple times, life changing, and, and truly, I say that same thing. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I just felt that the way the HPBA government Government Affairs team put that event together, and here you are, um, you know, embedded in our day to day and working on. What we believe are very important things and what was so enlightening was to know how much was was going on behind the scenes and how hard these people are working. Uh, Speak to the Government Affairs Academy and then speak to Government Affairs.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, the fact is that there is so much work that the hpba does behind the scenes that they don't get any credit for no one pays attention to i mean it's crazy so yeah for anyone listening that wants to aspire to leadership in our industry at both the local and the national level i would encourage you to go to the government affairs academy i mean it's it is an amazing event that will open your eyes to the scale of our industry at the national level that we don't think about that and that there are people that want to take us down there are people that don't want our products out there and so it, it gives you the opportunity to become a voice, and Grant, to your point earlier, it builds confidence. I mean, it really gives you confidence to step up and to speak on behalf of the people that you represent, and you think about this. You know, for people that are managers or are team leaders or owners or supervisors, man, you know there are people that you are responsible for that, that work underneath you, and it is actually your God-given responsibility, in my opinion, to stand up for their jobs and for their livelihood. And so the natural way to do that is to be able to be a voice when regulation comes into play that's unfair. Now there's good regulation, and we want to partner with good regulation and 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 all that stuff. But when there's unfair regulation that that hurts the people that you employ, you got to be a voice for it. And it, and it's a bummer to see how many dealers just stick their head in the santa don't do anything
1: no question i mean going there and realizing how much goes on and here you are running a business and you have no idea what is going on and how uh, i mean uneducated you spoke earlier about how consumers you can go to 10 doors and ask people what a gas insert is and they're not going to know you know all people hear is wood stove and smoke And, and truthfully, these wood stoves are extraordinarily clean burning already. And, uh, and, and a lot of this is about us educating, uh, these senators, these house representatives on truly what we're doing here. And if we're not going to do it, who is going to do it?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, that's the thing that, that we talk about with, you know, if people in my neighborhood don't know what a gas insert or a wood stove is, I mean do the politicians? I mean, most of them don't. Most of them don't know any more or any less than the rest of the people in your neighborhood, yet they're the ones who are coming up with these regulations. And the thing is, it's not in us against them. It doesn't mean that they're stupid and we're smart, but it's actually our responsibility to teach them and to educate them on the value that we provide. And and frankly, I found in, in every government situation that I have been in, People are super reasonable. They want to listen to you and they want to learn. And I mean, I may not always agree with their decision making, but I'll tell you, most of these people are actually pretty reasonable that I come into contact with.
1: Absolutely. They wanted to listen. They, we found that they wanted to be educated. They didn't want to just dismiss it. They wanted to understand it and seeing how many things are going on there and walking the tunnels and going from different place to different place in there. It's amazing the amount of work and the amount of stuff that gets done. And I truly felt like they wanted to know. Doesn't mean they can always do something about it, but I felt like my voice mattered for the first time. Will you speak to that just before we end this uh, on the government affairs part?
0: Yeah, I mean, any chance you get to to speak with people that are that are in office is amazing. I mean, they really do want to learn, and so it was super fun with you. You know, we'd go in and and we'd be shaking hands with a senator with, with staff members, and. And I think that what I realize is, is I mean, laying my cards on the table, I can hold a really cynical view of government. And what I realize is that regardless of how you feel about things politically, we have a voice. Now, not everybody does, but we have a voice. And for us to choose not to use it is just foolish. Well, Tim,
1: uh, you know, I am. I'm just so grateful to have uh, to been selected by you to do this interview. I didn't know exactly how it was going to go, and I, I, I was I was really nervous about it. But I've had a ton of fun, although we've had some technical difficulties. <laughs> I have had a ton of fun. The last question, and I don't want you to cut this short, Tim. I want to speak to what what Tim's going to do in the future. What 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 do you have in store for for us? What do you uh, want to get out of 2019 and beyond?
0: Oh, man, you just teed me up on that one, didn't you? I may you, have. You know, this is this is what I, I think. You know, I, I want to be somebody that's able to give a voice to our industry. Um, I think that we have radically forgotten about our customers. We really have. Our marketing proves it. Um, you know, I flip through the, uh, the industry magazines every month and just see this horrendous marketing that these companies are wasting so much money with. And I just keep thinking like, man, this could be money that is being used to pay their people more wages. This could be used to educate consumers more on their products. And we are just throwing it into a black hole. And so, um... You know, it goes back to that problem of we are so difficult to do business with and and we confuse more customers than we help. I mean, I I am convinced that as good as my team is, and I think we're a really good team, but as good as my team is, we still confuse tons of customers out of buying our products. And I think that, that at the industry level, it's going on everywhere. So you ask what I want for the future. Here's what I want, man. I always want to have a foot in the door doing what I do now with with retail because the problem is there's a disconnect between companies and the customer. Manufacturers, generally speaking, are completely disconnected from the customer experience. Now, that's not all manufacturers, but generally speaking. So I always want to have a foot in retail so that I can say I know what the consumers are going through. But at the same time, you know I love to help people, man. I would I would love to to partner with a manufacturer to develop a product line that changes the game for for customers and for their employees and for their for their team members. I, th- I think that that's totally possible for someone that wants to do that. You know, I love speaking to businesses. I want, I want to speak and and help them grow because at the end of the day, you know, I think about companies like the one that I came up through the ranks with, which is my father-in-law. You know, he ran a great business in Corvallis. He he just sold it, a, a, actually, a few weeks ago. But those are the people that I want to help because I think that that's like that's the backbone of our industry is good people that just don't know what to do. You know, they they want to do the right thing, but they they're just right now they're just doing the best that they know how. So I would love to be somebody that can speak into that and help kind of take them to where we think they have the potential to go and lastly man i want to change the game when it comes to fireplaces uh you know i can't say too much about it right now but i want to change the game when it comes to fireplaces and i think that i think that there is a way to do that and hopefully in a couple years we can have a conversation about what that looks like well,
1: Tim, that is extraordinarily exciting. I uh, I just, uh, when you talk about those things, your passion just, it bleeds through this podcast <laughs> and it's it's bled through all uh, 11 episodes leading up to this and it's bled through this entire interview the, this whole time. I have just uh, had a great time talking to you and appreciate the opportunity in asking you these questions. So thank you again t- for being on your and Fire Time Podcast.
0: <laughs> Thanks, man. Well yeah, it's an honor to be on my own show. And the fact is it's been awesome to see how this has spread. That like this is this is spread into almost every state in the u.s it's in multiple countries and it's been really really fun and so you know my hope is like there's nothing magical or special about me i'm an overly confident super loud dude that believes in everything <laughs> he says <laughs> you know probably too much so and and the fact is uh i think there's a way that we can all win together and uh hopefully i can be a voice that helps point people towards um what it looks like for them to win so thanks man i really appreciate it of course dan thank you all right, peace.
1: Wow. What an interview. I have a bunch of notes here and uh, a lot of them I could, I can go over and I'll try to, as I conclude this interview, but really what, what I want to speak to is the people listening to this podcast. You know, Tim is the type of person that is doing this for the industry. Tim is not doing this for himself. Sometimes in these situations you have ego that plays a role And that ego gets the best of of the person presenting the information and that information gets lost. There's no ego here. There's just a ton of great information, a ton of great content being put together in different ways to help us. This isn't just hearth industry related, but we're lucky enough to have Tim in this hearth industry. And I I hope we all understand and appreciate what Tim brings to the table As we navigated this interview, we obviously learned that Tim wasn't always motivated. Maybe he's always been passionate and driven, but wasn't always motivated in the right ways. I am blown away at someone who is younger than me with the wisdom that he has. He is able to stay secure and confident, but not cocky. He isn't afraid to talk about his downfalls and discipline in the past and how he effectively operates during the day to be the most disciplined person he can be. I mean, he talks about hitting a glass of water hard in the morning. And I just love that. Attack it. Get up. Hit that glass of water. Stretch. Do whatever you want to, but do something that starts your day and attack it with vengeance. Don't be afraid to carve an hour out of your day to practice, whether it's on the sales floor, whether it's the service team, whether it's a training. The government affairs part of this interview is something that's special to me and I want to note: We, as listeners, have a voice. I know Tim would agree that that time with uh, with Rachel and with that um, government affairs team was one of the most special that we've had in a long time and makes me and Tim want to make a difference. Tim in the future is going to be someone that we see a lot of, or at least I hope so. I couldn't be more honored to have done this interview with Tim. Um, What I'm going to tell you is that as a business owner, as someone who wants to be and strives to be successful every day, meeting Tim has been a blessing. Taking Tim's information, not being put out because all I hear is what he's telling me. Uh, that I'm not doing, focusing on what he is truly telling me and how he's telling me and trying to get better is what what Tim wants for all of us. And uh, I hope that this interview enlightened that a little bit. And, and honestly, before I get off and sign off of this amazing podcast, reach out to Tim. Tell Tim what you're struggling with. Let him know why he's wrong. Tell, reach out to him communicate with them. Let's start some dialogue. Let's get 36 podcasts on the next one. Uh, what Tim's doing here is something special and we all can be a part of it. So let's be a part of it.
0: Thank you for listening to the fire time podcast. To learn more, visit the website. It's firetime.com. music from this episode was written and recorded by in Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the fire time podcast where it's never hot enough. Slow is fast And the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.